stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's very own Kevin Cook, who is the editor of the Taser Service and a senior stock strategist here at Zach's. But he's also our resident expert on all things about behavior in investing and psychology of investing. And we need him right now because there's a lot going on with the psychology on the stock market. Either it's with companies that you know are about to file bankruptcy and some people still staying invested in there, or it's about buying or trading these uh, regional bank stocks that are very volatile and have uh, been so the last couple of months. Or maybe it's even about the small cap tech techie type name that people have been trading over the last year or two or three years. And are they still in it? Some of those have fallen to oblivion and are you know, on the verge of maybe even being delisted. These are a lot of things that are going out there, Kevin. Um, so I'm glad to have you on this week. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, such a great topic right now with this banking crisis that we're having. You know, on, on Monday morning, we come in, we know that um, that First Republic Bank is going to get bailed out, or 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 actually their assets were going to get bailed out, not not uh, not the bank itself, not and not, certainly not the shareholders. And I was just asking, like, you know, is this the final event? I don't think so, because uh, and then we're seeing it today. So I'll I'll let you lead it off, but there's there's so much good stuff to talk about here in terms of what people see, what they understand, and then where they put their money in this banking crisis. Right. Um, I own a couple banks in the value investor portfolio, and we've decided to stay in them because they did appear to stabilize in the last you know month or so <laughs> after the initial downdraft on Silicon Valley Bank and the shock of that. Then they they did kind of stabilize. We've got all their earnings in, and there was no earnings blowups among the banks I own in there. And so I felt it was pretty okay to be in them. Um, but now, as you just mentioned, they're taking another leg down because I guess First Republic being bought out by JP Morgan is not enough to soothe everyone. It feels like the masses of the short sellers and whoever else, just the crazy traders, are have moved on. Now, you know, First Republic is off the table to trade that. That's gone away. So they've gone on to the next banks on the list. And there are those lists going around of, you know, the supposed ones that have, you know, quote unquote issues, but do they? Nobody seems to really know. And we have some, you know, high up people like Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan saying just over the weekend after they bought First Republic that, okay, we're done. And that was the worst one and things should be good from here. And then now we have this, you know, sell off again. In yeah, I mean, he, he would he would love to restore confidence, but uh, yeah, he, you know, I mean, I I thought he was, I would have said that was wrong on Monday morning. That you know, that's what I told my people. I said, you know, is this the final cleansing clearing event? And I said, 
Maybe, but when you look at how the shorts just kept pressing FRC, First Republic Bank, even after that $30 billion backstop in March, uh, it makes you wonder how many more banks they can do this to. Because, um, you know, so, so last week, let's just catch people up here. So last week, First Republic reports earnings and they revealed they lost, you know, maybe 100 billion in deposits. It seemed like that was a surprise to some people because then, uh, you know, they cut the stock in half and yeah. and by another 80% in a matter of days, you know, from like Wednesday to Friday. Um, right. We didn't hear Jamie Dimon come out and say, yeah, this is probably going to keep happening, you know, because he, he doesn't want to make it worse. He doesn't want to yell fire right. in sure. a crowd of theater like, like Bill Ackman. And then right. over the weekend, he, he becomes the best bidder for the assets. Um, yeah the existing deposits and loans and gets us gets a great deal he you know he obviously could step up but um you know so now he's willing to say oh it's you know this is the end but man like they're they're that that's the point i was trying i've been trying to make you know you you and i talked about this uh back in march when i bought the the regional bank etf kre yeah i said there's nothing to stop the shorts from continuing to do this to a bank. And if they right. if they can keep doing it and scare people and then the depositors leave, um, you know, it's it's just gonna keep happening. And we're seeing it today. I didn't even know that, you know, you told me because you're looking at this, um, what Pac West was down 30% PACW, yeah. and then and I just look at it now, they're 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 still down like 24% today. So the short bear attacks are still going on here. Yeah, on, on a few of these names. And then all of the regional banks are just being sold off in general. That's just regular investors, I feel, getting out of the space again, if they were still in it. Kind of like my value investor, although we are still holding on to ours for right now. Um, but you do see in the charts, you had, like with PacWest, you had the initial plunge on the Silicon Valley Bank news. And then it was pretty stable for you know over a month month and a half and now it's taken the next leg down new 52 week lows so i don't know like these are the questions for investors out there um i think you you've been saying some interesting stuff about you know who who is in these stocks who is in first republic last week like other than the traders like would would normal investors i'm sure some Normal investors still got caught on Monday after the oh, buyout. Oh, for sure, because because you know you you sometimes heard about the uh, the mutual fund or hedge fund manager or asset manager who sold their shares. You know they they were down fifty percent, seventy five percent, and they said and they just decided to sell the rest in Q one. Um, yeah. But uh, but if if you looked at Twitter or stock twits where you have a lot of active traders and retail investors, there were many who thought that, uh, oh boy, this thing's a this thing's a steal at, at $12, $13. This is FRC because the, you know, the analysts think the balance sheet is fine and they still have $40 price targets, even though it just fell from 120. Um, right. And I, I think people fooled themselves about, you know, what is, uh, you know, like what's their evidence that it has to go back up? 
when when really markets are full of black swans. You know, we we, we think of black swans tending to be uh, an event, uh, a, a macro systemic event that affects the whole market. But even within individual stocks, there can be big surprises, right? Um, yeah. a, a CEO gets caught up in uh, in fraud or something, or uh, the books are cooked. You know, that for an investor, that's a black swan in an individual stock. Why did people think that the the upside was greater than the downside in something like a regional bank that was clearly under siege and and you just had you just had this big test the big banks do a 30 billion dollar backstop for FRC in March and the stock still went lower i mean that was kind of like the the, the warning flag of there were worse things to come right I've been following some of what the insiders are doing on these regional banks because I run the insider trader here at Zacks. And so it is an interesting take on who at some of these banks think that their stock is a bargain, that they're not having the problems that some of these other banks are having, and that, you know, the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater type of scenario. Um, I was curious to see how many, if any, would be buying from some of these banks. And there have been some. Now, we can only buy, and my screens only show the better Zacks rank stocks. So if some banks you know, are seeing their earnings estimates being slashed and things, then I'm not gonna see a lot of those trades. But some of the ones where the banks are out of favor, um, some insiders have been buying, like Huntington Bank shares, that's, Appears on a lot of lists that are on like stock twits and Twitter, and it's down pretty sharply again now that the sell-off has resumed. But a director bought in there just last week, uh, twenty thousand shares. Um, Texas Capital Bank shares is another one where the two directors bought in there last week. That's TCBI is the ticker there. That's been real weak. And then um, a bank I haven't heard of, but it's called People's Bank Corps out of Ohio. It's a small cap regional. Three different directors have been buying in there even this week, but that just hit new lows and its dividend yield is now 6%. So I've, I have been looking around to see where some insiders are actually buying because that's sending like a stronger signal, you know, at least someone on the inside believes <laughs> that they're not having these issues, right? Or even if the bank themselves are doing a share buyback, like uh, Bank OZK has a share buyback and they have been buying while the shares have been, you know, crushed down quite a bit. So I'm glad you brought that up because the 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 insiders is a piece of evidence that you could hang your hat on. Right, it, it's it not everything, but it's right. but it but at least it's a piece of evidence that people who know the books better than anyone are saying, right. "Hey, I, I think we're a buy here." Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, when I think about the the people trying to buy First Republic at at thirteen fourteen dollars in the past month, um, they deceived themselves because, as I said on Monday morning, where. Where was the evidence to to hold any beliefs that, you know, it, it would go back up? And it it makes me think of the the AMC crowd, you know, the the uh, 
the people betting on the the MOAS, the mother of all short squeezes um, in AMC. And, you know, I kept telling people, like, this is a movie theater. There's no reason it should have this valuation. Um, And and if your evidence is the there's some conspiracy with Citadel and (laughs) and, uh, you know, all this, like if if that's your evidence for placing the trade, um, you know, you're taking a lot of risk. So you got to you know, you have to really understand what you're betting on and have you know, because we could all tell ourselves stories. I mean, this is the the nature of behavioral finance. We can construct a narrative and collect evidence, you know, confirm that confirms our biases, and we can put together a great story about why to buy a stock. Um, we we see it happen all the time. We're all we're all actually susceptible to it, right? We ignore the bad news and say, yeah, but there's A, B, C, and D that make this stock a buy, and so we all sort of have to get used to being the, you know, taking the counter of that, like, well, what if, you know, what am I not looking at? And, and what if those uh, four catalysts aren't as strong as I think they are? And, you know, we just have to be honest with ourselves. so We don't uh, throw our own money away. And I think we see that a lot of times with companies that have been uh, struggling for a while that might be possibly heading towards bankruptcy. And I'm thinking about like Bed Bath & Beyond, which finally did file for bankruptcy recently. But it was that was a long road to the bankruptcy. And we had some memesters and some Reddit people in in that stock, too. But and it did get a little bit of boost during the pandemic, like a lot of the retail did as we all rushed out to buy bread makers and coffee machines. We we did go to Bed Bath & Beyond to get some of that. But once things normalized, then their business went back to being the struggle and they couldn't keep it together. But that was a case where they were warning investors for, I want to say, a couple of months even that bankruptcy was possible. And yet there were still quite a few people in it, including like a friend of mine, uh, the father of one of my friends, and he had been a long-term shareholder, you know, like way back in the day, like 10 years ago when it was paying a nice dividend and we all did shop there. So it made a sense as an investment and it was just a small little part of his overall portfolio. And he said he didn't pay that much attention to it. And so I kept telling her like, hey, does he still own that? If he is, he needs to sell it, even though he would have like a big loss in it. And so she did, you know, she did tell him like, hey, Tracy says that they're warning about bankruptcy. Are you still in this? Um, Because he wasn't really paying attention to it because it was just kind of a small portion of his portfolio. And I do think it's hard for some of us to believe that a company like Bed Bath & Beyond that we've been going to for like 30 years or something, that it could just go away, that it could just go under. Because they've had all like four or five different strategies to turn it around. They've had like, like, that many CEOs in the last couple of years. They got new board members. They were doing all this stuff that seemed like they could save it. But then in the end, they just, they could not. But I do think it's hard for investors on companies like that to know when to get out. And it, you know, goes back to like, when do you sell? Because it does, it does, uh, it's terrible to sell something that you have a big loss in. 
and you know that's human nature. We want it to come back at least, yeah. at least a little bit, at least a little bit more than yeah. what it was. All of these are good case studies too for investors. It's like you know, I, I yeah. we could almost write a book on you know stocks that went away, companies that went away when you never thought they could. Um, yeah. You know, and I, and I always think about uh, you know you talked about insiders as evidence of you know a piece of evidence that. There could be some value here because you have real people who know putting money on the line. Right. Uh, the other thing I look at is outsiders, which is, which is uh, what I would call M&A, right? So yeah. when there's M&A, when an acquirer sees value and they step in, so you have to ask yourself, why didn't an acquirer come in sooner for Bed Bath & Beyond? And I think it's because uh, anybody what from from huge Walmart to another small competitor. I, I'm not sure what the small competitors for Bed Bath and Beyond are. Uh, you know better than I do. But um, you know, e even Target, they look at it like, why would I shell out a few billion when I can just wait for that thing to keep collapsing? It eliminates competition. Maybe I'll yeah. pick up their inventory, and maybe I'll pick up their big boxes. Right? It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Who's already going to move into all the all the big boxes that or or mall outlets that Bed, Bed Bath and Beyond owned? You know, right? So, um, so yeah. And this is what I would tell. This is what I told people during the the AMC frenzy um, when they were still saying, "Oh God, I I own it from forty and I'm still buying it at twenty and I'll buy it at ten and now it's five. Um, I said, "Listen, the reason that AMC is." is overvalued is because you guys keep doing this and you believe in this in this short squeeze and t taking down Citadel. But let's look at some evidence. The the evidence at the time was that uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon went out and bought MGM for about five and a half billion. Now, he obviously saw that MGM had some assets that he could use for, you know, Amazon Prime and whatever, right? Like right. the the whole giant movie catalog and branding and whatever, yeah. but he only paid five and a half billion. Meanwhile, uh, traders were thinking, yeah, AMC is worth, who cares if it's worth 30 billion? It's going higher. <laughs> like, just <laughs> look at reality. Right, yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of things are, you know, changing here in our, our kind of market conditions that we now have. And um, what what kind of advice do you have for a lot of the people who bought, you know, some of the more speculative plays, not necessarily the memesters, those ones, because those were definitely front and center, like AMC out there. But the ones who bought, you know, the tech company that doesn't make any money, but everybody was buying them in, in 2020, 2021, you know, it went IPO then or whatever. I have a friend whose personal trainer was buying a lot of these kinds of stocks. And so I started following one of the ones that my friend told me he was buying. And it's called Vinco Ventures and it's ticker BBIG. I'm almost reluctant to put that ticker out there right now because it's only trading at 16 cents now. But its 52 week range is 15 cents. And then it was at $2.34 at some point in the last year. So this is one of those ones now that's gone under the dollar where, you know, the traders and my friend's personal trainer thinks like, oh, all it has to do is go up to 30 cents and I double my money, right? So <laughs> I'm going in and out of this. 
But meanwhile, sounds like they've a crypto. Been at this, <laughs> it, right. It's been at this lower level for a while. So they're they've got the NASDAQ delisting warnings. They're they're trying, they have a new CEO and CFO. I discovered when I went in to go look at it for this podcast because I've never really looked at it. I've only just followed it on StockTwits just to kind of see what it was doing. I didn't even know what they did. I just knew it was one of these more speculative uh, techie type of companies. And it turns out they convert content to digital and social platforms, but they did just announce uh, in April that they're acquiring the National Enquirer and, and the Examiner and Globe, those newspapers that were always at the front of the checkout stands. Ah. And they intend to leverage it. Like Inquirer has a big library of like celebrity content and things. They're going to try to leverage it into something. But meanwhile, they're trying to do a reverse stock split so that they don't get delisted. And all of this is going on. So what kind of advice do you have for someone who finds themselves like stuck in a a stock like this? This is the this is like a classic of the behavioral finance. It's gone down to 16 cents as of today, <laughs> um, May 2nd. And but they are doing some stuff, but you know, they may or may not be delisted. They're gonna do the reverse split. Like, you know, do I just get out at this point? Like, who is in this? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I I don't have a lot of advice on penny stocks because, you know, I mean, if you're already down, you know. 99% and it's trading right. less than 50 it's cents. Almost, I mean, you, you, you have, have no money. In it, so you might, yeah, you might as well yeah. hold it. But I but okay. I do I do think we have a great case study with what happened in software um after the pan after and you know during the pandemic. Um you know, we just you know when when we went work from home, I mean, the stock market collapsed, we have this we have this mini mini flash recession, I called it, and then the stock market's roaring back. Um, and then later 2020 and 2021, you just saw this roar in software and fintech. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Zoom was going through the roof, you know, and all these different companies because it was it was remote work and you needed the you didn't you didn't just need Zoom. You needed like uh, the infrastructure, the bandwidth to support people having high speed connections at home and et cetera, et cetera. And then FinTech. Um, so I wrote, I did a lot of content on that stuff and made some money on some stuff, but then also got caught myself on buying things too high because the rising tide of software and FinTech did lift all boats. What you, what ended up happening was, you know, you, you get caught in the idea that the momentum is, is going to continue forever and you buy things at too high of a valuation, which the quantitative bears, and I'm not talking, I'm not I'm talking about like Wall Street professional sharks who run the numbers both fundamentally and technically, they're waiting to short this stuff. So, you know, you were encouraged when when uh remember buy now, pay later. So yeah, Square yeah. goes out and pays 29 billion for a, a company called, I think it was Afterpay or something. And it's like, oh, and so that's lifting all boats. But then but when these things start to go down, um, you know, you have to you have to apply risk management. And like you if you got caught up in the euphoria, it's OK. Now you can't get caught up in the in the fear of regret, like, you know, like there's all kinds of behavioral biases and people don't yeah. want to to sell something and then regret it later. But 
um, that this is where you have to have some rules. Uh, we all know the rule of 72 for calculating your return, uh, you know, and co your compound uh, return on things. Yeah. I made up, a, I made up a rule for trading called the rule of 14. Okay. And the rule of 14 can protect you from losing more than 2% of your account. So the rule of 14 okay. is you can go up to a 14% position in any one stock. Now, now I bet that you, Tracy, as a seasoned investor, probably don't have 14% of your portfolio in a single stock, but it's, right. it sometimes happens to people. Yeah, yeah. But, but here's here's the risk management rule. Go ahead, if you wanna bet the farm, like I, I have done sometimes on NVIDIA, go ahead and make it you know, over a 10% position in your portfolio. Uh, but if you do, you have to use a 14% stop loss to make sure you don't lose 2% of your account equity. So that's the rule okay. of 14. You can go up to a 14% position and and have a 14% stop loss and still lose less than 2% of your account equity. Now that that's a pretty, you know, safe rule and and since we don't recommend that people, you know, have positions that are 10 to 15% of your portfolio, um you know, it, it kind of sort of tells you, oh, oh, so if I have an eight to ten, eight to ten percent allocation uh, in a single stock, then then maybe I can have a twenty percent or a twenty five percent stop loss. So that's the way you want. That's the thought experiment. What it okay. reinforces is that you still have to have a stop loss. Don't don't let things go to a fifty percent loser. Um, where you're going to be in that emotional regret state, like, oh my gosh, what if I sell it and it goes back up? You know, just right. you know, all the best investors have some risk management rules. You know, you uh, you alerted me uh, recently that Warren Buffett sold all of his Taiwan Semiconductor, and yeah. you know, and you know, it was a genius move to buy it in the past few years. I mean, their their revenues have doubled, more than doubled since 2019 because they are, they are the foundry to make the chips for Nvidia, Apple, Qualcomm, AMD. You know, they're the, they're like the 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 architects of AI and mobile and autonomous everything. They make the designs, but then they send it to Taiwan to actually fabricate the chips. So, yeah. you know, Taiwan is a cash cow. Taiwan Semi TSM. But uh and I just did a bear bear of the day article about it to highlight their headwinds. Uh and so tell me tell me what you saw that Warren Buffett saw that made him sell. Well, we don't know exactly what he saw, but Becky Quick did ask him about it when she just had him on, uh, you know, squawk on the street or whatever, squawk box for a couple of hours when he was in Japan. And of course, they had to ask him about it because this was the first interview he's given and the first opportunity to ask him about that sale because that's very unusual for Berkshire because as we all know, Buffett has always said the the time to sell is never basically. And why would you buy a $4 billion position? And especially in a semi that he's he's never been in the semis that I know of and then sell it the next quarter when there was no other news or anything in there that didn't seem to make any sense. But he did tell Becky it was because of like the geopolitical issues in Taiwan with China there. And he just saw that it was too risky and wasn't willing to, to be in something that was that risky, even though you would think, well, didn't you know that when you bought it in the third quarter of 2022 
that there was risk there too, but um, it could be that you know some of that has changed, and then he just did deem that that would be too risky and decided to get out. And there are yeah, and, geopolitical and issues with with a lot of companies. I mean, the things did cross my mind about, a, say, Starbucks. You know, its second largest market is China. What happens there if something were to happen with between China and Taiwan? What happens to Starbucks business in China? Like that might not be too great, <laughs> you know. And, and so. his, uh, you know, his initial ideas when he bought it, yeah, he may have known about the China risk, but then right. things did sort of heat up in Q1, where you know yeah. China's doing new military exer exercises around right. Taiwan, and right. so. But so this is an example of you know Warren Buffett's not perfect, and he'll be the first person to tell yeah. you that. But it's an example of you are allowed to reevaluate your original thesis. And in yeah. fact, you should reevaluate it and right. say, you know yeah. what? Maybe I was wrong about the upside or maybe I was wrong about the risk. And I'm going to make a new decision now about the risk reward and say that, you know, because because geopolitical risk is, you know, it's one of those outliers. It's almost like government risk, right? Like you can yeah. you can have a great thesis about a company, but all of a sudden the government or legislation comes in and completely changes your industry or business model, um, you can't fight that. So no. if you can anticipate that risk, then you can reevaluate and make a new decision. Right, so on that note, uh, just recently the government of Chile announced that they were going to nationalize the lithium in the country. They are the largest lithium producer, which is used in electric vehicle batteries, among other things like smartphones. But uh, that was huge because there are companies, uh, Chilean companies, SQM, that is the big uh, manufacturer there. And so when you're your government just comes out and says, hey, we're going to nationalize you. We'll give you a couple years. We'll give you till 2030. But we still may want you know, to come into the agreement earlier, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not good. I owned SQM in the value investor and in my own personal portfolio, but we did sell it because these are like headlines that you can't overcome as an investor. If they're going to nationalize it, they're going to nationalize it. There's not, nothing you can do. But it did come quite out of the blue. I mean, it was always a risk, I suppose. It, it is with any kind of commodity that it could be nationalized in that way. But it still was, was a, a bit shocking for those companies and the industry in general. I mean, I'm. I always talk to my people and my services, uh, like Taser and healthcare innovators, about you got to check your biases. Like we all have biases. We, you know, we all fall for a narrative, and then we want to reinforce it, and we want to have conviction, and we want to have confidence, and we don't want to admit we're wrong. You know, so right. Um, right. Uh, you know, I have to do that with the CRISPR stocks, which I'm. I'm back in the CRISPR stocks uh, in healthcare innovators. And so far, it's working just because okay. you know I, I bought at good levels, and and I and I, I see there is just generational upside in these things. But um, you know, I could be wrong. So, uh, but I, I want to uh, talk about another sort of uh, behavioral fallacy or bias or trap that people fall for um, that is not stock specific. It's it's the okay. doom and gloom. And uh, oh, I wrote a, I did it. I wrote a Twitter thread last week about uh, what I call dollar destruction hysteria. 
and I, I made up an acronym for a DDH, Dollar Destruction Hysteria, where all of a sudden everybody, all the so-called experts on YouTube and uh, in other newsletters, thankfully not us, are selling the doom and gloom that the dollar is going to heck in a handbasket. And yeah. Listen, I, I was a currency trader at the institutional level for 10 years, um, and I remember in uh, – and this is at the launch of the euro in 1999. So I got to see two things going on. We've got the launch of the euro, and then we had China at the time saying, oh, uh, or there were ideas that China was going to sell all its U.S. treasuries and do all their business uh, in, in the euro. Well, obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> and then okay. – and then when you look at what the dollar has actually done, like in the past decade since the financial crisis, you know, it was up 50%. Yeah. Um, and then, and then all, remember uh, the middle or the late 20 teens when we were sort of in a, in a halfway recession in 2015, energy companies yeah. were doing bad. The, the Fed was keeping interest rates low because they couldn't get any inflation or growth or employment. Um, that whole time from like for six years, from 2015 to 2021, the U.S. dollar stayed in a range of 90 to 100. And that, that's the U.S. dollar index of which it's weighted 58% against the euro. So it was like even during all that worry, the dollar is pretty strong. And then yeah. in the past 18 months, the dollar spikes, the index spikes up to 110 because we're raising interest rates. And and that's a clue for everybody that that interest rate differentials tend to be the constant current of driving FX flows. So now the dollar has, you know, uh, it, it's rallied fantastically and now it's back down back to 100 on the index. And you've got everybody saying, oh, it's going to collapse. You know, the, uh, we're, we printed too much money. But what people forget is that it's all relative in FX. The dollar is always going to be valued against the euro. And yeah, the Chinese are going to go deal oil, um, you know, with Russia, they're they're you know they're they're going to start using the yuan or whatever. Like that's a small yeah. part of of the dollar's value. The, the dollar's value is in like what people don't consider. It's it's in our financial markets, the the breadth and depth and stability that any company can do business with us, whether it's in our financial markets or you know stock market or trade, and they can trust the rule of law. The the markets are deep and liquid. The rule of law prevails. Um, it may not be perfect, but you know, like, and our government certainly isn't perfect. But it, uh, our our model of a constitutional republic functions relatively better than a lot of other countries. So that's another, you know, relative right. value of why you own dollars because you want to do business here, you want to buy right. assets right. here or do trade. And so the idea that the dollar is is going to collapse because we printed too much debt. Um, you know, it it hasn't borne out. It just hasn't borne right. out because you know, and that's a whole other debate. I mean, the 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 debt is not, you know, politics aside. It's just a it's just a trend. But uh, so even though the debt is greater than GDP, you know, annual GDP, um, what it's still dwarfed by is the the wealth base of the nation, and that's you know assets and real estate. Uh, real property. So, you know, there, there there's so many, uh, if people want to read the Twitter thread I did, uh, just go uh, follow me on Twitter at Kevin B. Cook. Um, and you can DM me or whatever, and I'll, I'll send you to the, the Twitter thread and some 
supporting videos and and podcasts and sort of th- that sort of thing that that takes you through all the points you need to consider to accurately assess you know whether the dollar is actually collapsing and uh and your you, you know your money's going to evaporate listen the, the the best trade of all for the, for the past 20 years is just to be an investor either in stocks or real estate and you clobber inflation yeah good point all right, I like that DDH dollar destruction hysteria. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch out for that. Let's see if that's yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like somebody goes on YouTube and makes a video like about this, you know, this doom and gloom, and yeah. then people want to believe it. So we get right. caught up in it. It's like, oh yeah. yeah, we like we like the doom and gloom sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's hope there's some people out there who maybe, you know, got a little bit of help from this podcast on what they should do if they own some of these stocks, like to be aware of their own behavior and their biases. And also, you know, keep an eye on what's going on with these banks. Um, but as always, it's always a, a good podcast when we have you on, Kevin, because it's it's got to be something to do with, you know, behavior and psychology out there. Um, Okay, so I'm going to recap a lot of the stocks we did talk about on the show, and it was pretty wide ranging. But starting with some of the banks, we talked about PacWest, it's ticker PACW. I mentioned Bank OZK. I own it in my own personal portfolio, and it's in the value investor. OZK is the ticker there. Huntington Bank shares is one of the ones where an insider has been buying recently after their earnings. HBAN is the ticker. Texas Capital Bank shares, another one with insider buying. TCBI is the ticker. People's Bank Corps, another one where some uh, insiders, three directors have been buying. It's ticker P is in Paul, E is in Edward, B is in Boy, O, P E B O. And then we talked about, of course, AMC. That's still AMC. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor is TSM. I mentioned SQM, that is the lithium producer in Chile. And then I also mentioned Vinco Ventures. That's the stock that's trading at just 16 cents now that's buying the National Enquirer. Ticker B is in boy, B is in boy, I-G, B-B-I-G. And as always, you want to be sure to subscribe so you're getting all of our podcasts and you can get them on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and Amazon Music and just about anywhere you can get podcasts. But be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.